That's it. Oh, okay. We're good. <laughs> oh, we're having a fun morning this morning. How is everybody? Good, good, good. Uh, I, I have been getting questions a lot lately how we're sleeping. Um, for those that don't know, we, we have an eight-week-old tomorrow, um, and she's beautiful, and we are sleeping somewhat, which is, which is nice. It is nice to sleep occasionally. Uh, but let's pray before we get into the message this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the joy of knowing you. Lord, I pray this morning as we uh, ponder, we think, we look at what James has to say, would you help us to understand, to live out the life that you have for us in Jesus' name? Amen. I've realized, and I, I seem to do this every single time I'm speaking, I leave the clicker up here from the previous service. I have to go and run and get it every time. This morning, we are continuing our series on James. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've had some great, great messages. Uh, Graham Leo started us off, which was really great. And uh, then Stuart spoke last week, and I'm continuing on with James. Um, and my message is called Faith That Works. James, Faith That Works. When Graham did start talking to us about uh, James a few weeks ago, he highlighted for us the Shema, um, which is, is a great word, Shema. It means hear. And uh, if you weren't here, jump on and grab the podcast. We are on iTunes and on um, SoundCloud, so you, know, you can catch up on those sermons you missed. I know everyone loves to listen to sermons. Um, but uh, Graham spoke to us about how this is an integral part of where James was going with uh, a lot of the things he had to say, because the Shema is the prayer that is spoken by the Hebrew people day and night and has been for thousands and thousands of years. Um, and it recollects for us a very simple, memorable um, message. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Something that Jesus said very, very strongly. And he continued and said, Not only shall you love the Lord your God with all your heart, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the command, and this is what James talks about um, a lot. He really essentially sums up true religion this way. And that's what Graham was talking to us about. There is none like the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the Lord, and there is none greater. And then Stuart continued on for us uh, talking about James, and he highlighted for us how Christians, uh, not you, this is just other Christians, get caught up in outrageous nonsense. No, it's not us. Um, and uh, he was discussing how we really can lose sight of what is important in faith and get focused on the minors instead of focusing on the majors. And uh, he used this passage, which is actually uh, the message translation, verse 16 and 17, adaption. And it says, isn't it obvious that God talk, talk about God without God action, God acts, is outrageous nonsense. Um, and uh, once again, if you, if you were here, you would have uh, heard Stuart mention the, the Nike ad that's going around at the moment that actually has some substance to it. It's got a bit of an uproar about it, but uh, it's talking about putting your money where your mouth is and believing in something and doing something about it. Um, so we continue from that, and we're talking about James. We're talking about faith that works. And uh, it's pretty important for us that we... We go back to the text here and, and look at what James is trying to tell us about faith that works. So I want to continue on with that. Let's look at James 
uh, 2, 18 to 20. Someone will say, it was just read for us a second ago, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I by my works will show you my faith. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Strong words, isn't it? Comes in strong, James. But it's good. It's for our benefit. James is speaking strongly, and he's talking about how faith has to do something. That true faith works. It produces good works. It puts itself into action. It is productive. It is fruitful. It is earnest. It is genuine. True faith works this way. It has fruit. It has things that accompany it. Good works for us to break it down and make it more simple. God has good works prepared in advance for us to do in this life. And the Bible tells us that in other places. And our faith must have action associated with it. And James is talking in a way that is very common for ancient texts to write. He creates an imaginary person to talk to and argue with. He decides that he wants to have an argument with this imaginary person. Someone will say, this mysterious someone. And, it's, and we're in church this morning, so does anybody uh, have an argument with themselves? Anyone talk to themselves? Okay, so you pray for you. It's a good thing, actually. Believe it or not, um, being able to have a dialogue with yourself is actually a good thing, as long as it's not, you know, five different versions of yourself that you're having a dialogue with. But having a conversation and a dialogue of argument, to be able to see both sides of an argument, to be able to understand a different perspective. And this is what James is doing here. He's made up an imaginary person to be able to get to the perspective. Um, and really what he's trying to point out ultimately to us is the fact that faith and action, faith and works are completely linked. They are inseparable. They must go together. And he gives us two examples to talk about to show why that if you don't have the works accompanying the faith, it is barren. He gives us two scriptural, biblical examples, good stories actually, of Abraham and Rahab. And uh, of recent times, the youth group has actually talked quite a bit about Abraham. It's a fun topic for teenagers, right? Talking about Abraham. That, that's a joke, by the way. It's usually not. <laughs> it can be pretty dry at times. But Abraham was an interesting fellow. And uh, you may or may not know the biblical stories all that well, but he is called the father of faith in the New Testament. Uh, and usually the father of something is the, the beginner or the start or the, the empowering birth of a movement or an idea. So he's called the father of faith. And he's called this for a reason. And I'm often encouraged uh, by biblical heroes, and I hope you are too, because, gee, they made mistakes. They stuffed up. And yet God still used them powerfully. God used Abraham powerfully. Even though he made mistakes in his life, God still used him. And he can use you and me. Faulted though we are, he can use us. And so James writes, was not our ancestor... Oh, there's a picture of Abraham. Nice picture of Abraham there. That was, that's a real photo, by the way. <laughs> James was not our ancestor, Abraham, justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active along with his works, and that's important. And faith was brought to completion by the works, and that's an important sentence too. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed in God, or believed God, and it was reckoned 
to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Uh, that word reckoned there is in the NRSV. A lot of other translations use the word credited, like credit, credit put into your account, a balance sheet. This is what James is saying about Abraham as the example of faith. And then he says something that is probably, for modern Christianity, one of the most controversial things in the New Testament. Uh, he says in verse 24, you see that a person is justified, made right with God, by works and not by faith alone. Now, anybody in the room who has been a Christian for any period of time has probably heard that that sounds all wrong. That doesn't, that doesn't sound right. There's this phrase in church life, in Christian life, uh, it's called justification by faith alone. And the reformers in the 16th century had this as the mantra, this was the thing, that faith, faith is what saves you and justifies you and makes you right with God, not works, it's faith. It's definitely faith, 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 Yep, everyone got it? It's faith, it's nothing else. So all of a sudden, when James says this, that you're not justified or made right with God by faith alone, it's by works, that just seems ludicrous to me as a person who's gone to college and studied the Bible, I was taught that's not right. But the key here is to understand what James is getting at, what he's actually pointing out about being right with God. And that is not, in fact, the same way that the other parts of Scripture talk about being made right with God. There is an adjustment here, and we'll talk about it. So say, for instance... Paul talks about in Ephesians, he says, by, by grace you have been saved. It's grace, God's grace, through faith, this believing, knowing God. Mind you, when I say believing, faith is much more than that. And I don't mean to diminish faith to belief itself, it's bigger. But and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, something God gives to us. When Paul talks about it, he's talking about the act in which we believe in God and God makes us right with him. And that is the essence, the simple message of the gospel. It is right, it is true. There should be no doubting that it is faith that makes us right with God. It's what the Bible teaches, completely and utterly, in every single way. It takes faith in Jesus Christ makes us right with God by his grace. What James is trying to say when using the word justified and justification is what John Calvin the great Reformed theologian who was the bastion of this justification by faith alone thing said about it as well. He said, faith alone justifies. It is faith. It is believing. But faith which justifies is never alone. It is never by itself. It is accompanied by action, works, deeds. Faith, true faith, has action accompanied, inseparable, interlocked, inexorably linked, doesn't change. The two are joined at the hip. James continues, and we can see now, taking that mindset with us, that when he says, was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar, he is talking about actions that follow faith. Now, a little bit of uh, biblical scholars in the room will probably know this little tidbit of information about this passage. Right here, James is saying, was not Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? 
Do you see that faith was brought to completion by the works? If you know your Bible, it was actually in Genesis chapter 22 that Abraham took his son Isaac up onto the mountain. Mind you, that's a crazy thing too, right? It's a a crazy idea. Oh, son, we're going up to the mountain. What are we doing, Dad? Um, I'll tell you when we get there. But the scripture actually tells us that Abraham was reckoned, he was made right with God seven chapters before that event. It's chapter 15 of Genesis. And it was because he believed God's promise for him that his descendants would be like the sand on the seashore. He was actually reckoned right in chapter 15. And in chapter 22, he is following and obeying God, even when it seems hard, when it is hard. He's trusting God. And God, of course, proves himself to be true and not a murderous, vindictive God who wants Abraham to kill his own son. We read the story, if you read the story, in Genesis 22. It is about how God supplies for Abraham, supplies a sacrifice for him. And that it's about, it's about Abraham's obedience, not about even sacrifice in the end. Sorry, that's a whole other sermon, really. But in talking about Abraham, the righteousness, the works that came after the faith, they were accompanied, they were fruit of, the result of Abraham's great faith. And James does this deliberately. He's talking about the completion by the works, being faithful and good works coming from it. Likewise, the story of Rahab. Uh, It's similar to demonstrate this exact same point. So Rahab was the prostitute who... Does anyone know the story? Do people know the story of Rahab? Good, 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 good. Uh, who was in the city as the spies were spying out the land. And the spies came in, and all the people in the city had heard the stories, the great stories of the God of Israel, how God had freed the people from Egypt and how they were coming to reclaim the land. And there was a fear, the scripture says, of God upon the people in the city. And Rahab believed the story, believed the story. And then when the spies had come, she sheltered them, she saved them, she kept them from the authorities and released them out to go back and report what they had seen to the large group that had stayed back. Her faith led to works and she protected and hid these spies. And her faith also led to the great picture of the scarlet thread that hang from the wall. They told her, if you hang this scarlet thread from the wall, when we come with our armies to sack the city, your house will be saved. Your people will be saved. Those who are with you in the house will be saved. So she had faith as well that accompanied her works by putting out the thread and trusting that they would do as they had said. So James gets to that, this final statement in the section that we're talking about. And he says that, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. They're inseparable. They go together. And I'm, I'm conscious when talking about um, the, let's say, it's more of the existential, this airy-fairy idea that's going around of faith and works. It's more of it's a philosophical understanding that we can get disconnected from the reality of what I'm really talking about this morning, which is getting our hands dirty for God, working for him, 
loving our neighbours, caring for the poor and the widow. True religion is this, as Graham said on the first week of our series, actually working for God in our world, deliberately looking for opportunities or for the ones that are right in front of our face that we don't recognise every day to love other people, to serve other people in our workplaces, in our homes, in our families, in our church, here, on a Sunday, during the week, and at all times. And that's where it gets gritty for us. Does anyone like the term gritty? I like the term gritty. It gets a bit rough. It's kind of like sandpaper. And I feel like the scripture should be sandpaper on our lives, refining us, stripping us back so that God can do the work that he needs to be done to finish us and work us into the shape that he needs us to be. This is a chance for us, when listening to James, to examine our own hearts. Is our faith dead? Is there fruit in our lives? Are there works that we are doing for him that demonstrate that we really have the change on the inside? I'd like to finish with a a thought from one of my favourite writers, and I know many here would have read him before as well, C.S. Lewis. uh, Great man, Narnia series, love it. Um, uh, he, uh, He talked about an idea called compartmentalised Christianity. This is a problem that modern Christianity has really, really badly, and it's connected to our works and what we do for God. See, we we have this difficulty where we've been taught in our Western individualism to separate things in our lives. We've got our work, we've got our family, maybe we have our faith in a box, in a compartment, and it's separate. They don't impact each other. They're, they're, They're isolated ideas for us. But this is not what the Bible talks about when it talks about faith. It's not talking about compartmentalizing our lives. It's talking about our lives being centered on the cross, on Jesus. Everything in our lives coming from that. Our work, our play, our hobbies and our marriages, everything being centred from Christ and in Christ. This is the faith that works. It's inseparable from action. And Jesus is at the heart of it. And without him, we can do nothing. And I I know the last time I got up here, I was talking about connect, grow and serve, um, which is a few weeks back. I don't know if people remember. Um, But I would like to encourage you again as I finish this morning on that. Connect, grow and serve as a part of what we as a church are trying to do to make our faith even more at work. We want to provide a chance for us to connect with each other and grow in each other's lives. So we can do that on a Sunday, but we can do that during the week. And this is where, once again, I said it gets gritty. It's like sandpaper. Oh, I don't have time to go to a small group. I don't have time to... That can be hard, and I agree. But I run a small group, and I've got an eight-week old. (laughs) We want to grow with each other. And we want to serve. I'm not just here on a Sunday. And it's not about... And I know Stuart would be one million percent behind me as I say this. It's not about this church. It's about God's kingdom at work through your lives, through my life. We want to see this church grow, we do. But it's not about growing the kingdom of Rabin Anglican Church. It's about serving and loving God so that 
we serve and love God because he is the purpose of it all. So, faith that works, faith that produces good action and good works. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful church, your people. And Lord, I pray that we would continue to grow in our faith, that you would help us to do the works that you have asked us to do. Not on our own, not to justify ourselves, but as a result of the faith that you have already put inside of us, that our works would show, would bring to completion what you are already doing here in this place and outside these walls in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.